Hey there, it's Tom Ryan, founder and CEO of ICR. Before we get into the next episode, I wanted to ask that you subscribe to the show. It'll help us get even more unique and interesting guests on the podcast and in turn continue to educate management teams and the growing ecosystem that creates value for fast-growing private and public companies. And while you're at it, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating. Very much appreciated. If you go into a top-tier management consulting firm, they're going to charge you millions to go tell you where, how to save money. That was counterintuitive to me. Finding cost efficiencies can make a huge difference to a company, but it's a delicate balance to find those savings while at the same time keeping the company's needs in focus. 100% of the decisions are our clients' decisions. We don't, we don't make decisions for them. We make sure they understand what their decisions cost. Being a public company can be hard. Small missteps can have outsized consequences. I'm Tom Ryan, founder and CEO of ICR, and over the last 20 years, we've helped thousands of companies understand and navigate the stock market and the media. We'll demystify these and other increasingly complex stakeholder groups so you can focus on what you do best, building your company, and unlocking your true potential. This is Welcome to the Arena. For companies with expenditures that run into the billions, strategic procurement can mean millions for the bottom line. Today, we're sitting down with David Panino, president, CEO, board member, and founding partner of Logic Source. Logic Source is a purpose-built procurement services and technology provider focused exclusively on indirect or not for resale expenditures. Logic Source's service and technology solutions drive cost reductions and efficiencies for clients across all areas of this spend, which typically add up to 20% of a company's revenue and represent a significant opportunity for profit improvement. David has over 20 years experience in the services and outsourcing industry, including roles as a senior executive at Williams Leia Group, Scient, and Gartner. We had a great conversation about how Logic Source secures big wins for businesses and what's next for his growing company. Let's enter the arena with David Pinino. I set out in 2009 to start Logic Source, and simply put, the space we live in, companies buy a substantial amount of goods and services to be in business. And if you oversimplify it, they buy things they sell, like our client Lululemon, you know, obviously buys fabric and things of that nature. And then they buy a substantial amount of things that enable them to sell, marketing, uh, packaging, uh, distribution logistics, facilities, maintenance and repair, so on and so forth. Those things enable them to sell. And, and we live there in what, if you're in retail, you might call goods not for resale. Consumer packaged goods, we call it indirect, et cetera. And we started the firm back in, in 09 to, to kind of get at this in a different way. So if companies, CFOs, CEOs are looking for cost containment, uh, profit improvement, they would look internally and they're typically less capable. They have less resources on the indirect side than they do on the direct side, whether it be people, systems, data, et cetera. And when they look externally, Prior to us, everything, if not most things, were advice-based consulting firms that would sell, you know, if I'm honest, you know, because I was one of them, quite expensive PowerPoint that would tell you what you should go do, but they didn't do it. 
Yeah, consultants have great PowerPoints. That's their strength, right? <laughs> they do. They sure do. And, 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 you know, I think our clients were tired of, you know, the $4 million profit improvement PowerPoint that didn't have any execution capability tied to it. And that's what we wanted to build. So we built a utility essentially over the last 14 years that our clients can plug into that helps them drive profit improvement with, with real assets that actually get their fingernails dirty and do the work and, and bring data from outside your four walls, et cetera. Yeah, I would encourage everybody to go to your website. And um, I thought the video on the website is just, it's awesome. I thought it was just like a great way to visually show what you do. When you said there's like a lot of noise around the space, is it because there's a lot of big consulting firms where a small part of them kind of tries to do what you do or like a consultant tries to do it? Is that what you mean by that? Like, are you different because this is all you do? There's a lot of noise for a couple of reasons. I think the economy, and if you think about the last four or five years, or you, you know, you've got, you know, the pandemic, and then you've got a massive supply chain crisis, then you've got inflation, and now, whether we're in a recessionary environment or not, I think everybody in consumer businesses would agree it's a bit dark out there. So you've got four or five years of headwinds, and therefore everybody in consulting, large scale BPO. They've all kind of turned their cannons towards, you know, quote unquote, performance improvement. You know, I, I don't think 10 years ago a McKinsey had a performance improvement practice, if it, not around things like procurement, and, and now they do. So I think everybody's just in the space, and there's just a lot of noise around who the best partner is to go help these organizations when they're looking for cost containment. And, you know, cutting through that can be a bit daunting for our, our primary buyer, which is the CFO, to figure out who can go help him or her get at this. At this point, everyone uh, struggles to do this. It, you know, you just got to relentlessly tell your story and get the brand out there, which you're doing a very good job of. Is the business model that you have, I know when you go in and you you pitch a company or you're educating them on what you can do, some companies charge a big fee. You align your interests with the client right away. How do you make money at Logic Source and how does that really um, kind of cement you to the client in terms of uh, aligned interests? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. There's a couple of design points when we built the company that that we wanted to kind of stick to, and we've been successful for 14 years doing it. You know, one is we we felt that an organization or an executive who was on a mission to drive profit improvement, it made no sense that the first thing they do is write a check. So, you know, if you go into a, a, a top-tier management consulting firm, they're going to charge you for, and by the way, millions, to go tell you where how to save money. That was counterintuitive to me. It felt like we should be capitalized in a way that we could do all that work up front on our nickel and, and back ourselves that the client or prospective client would come out of the back of that and say, you know what, I believe everything you've come up with in this analysis and this work you've done, it's real, it's measurable, it's attainable. But also, I believe I need something from you to go get it. And if I couldn't meet those two burdens, I don't deserve to do business with those clients. And and we've we've accomplished that. We're capitalized in a way where we can put up our time, money, and resources to show our clients with rich benchmarks, you know, deep analysis that we're right before any money changes hands. And then, you know, to your question of how we get paid, you know, we we don't believe in things like gain share. The the money that we save is our clients' money, not ours. You know, gain share, people tend to hate each other after year one. Uh, you're arguing about baselines, <laughs> whose idea was it, that sort of stuff. We tend to get a fee for service. We get a reasonable return, and and the money we save is our clients. And, and, you know, it's interesting. I've had a couple of clients that have done two or three tours with us. One in particular said to me, boy, your your fee in this deal I'm doing with you is roughly similar to your fee in the last deal. 
But the last deal, you had about $35 million of EBITDA improvement. On this one, you have about $70 million. So were you just making too much on the last deal, or are you giving me a really good deal on this one? And you know, we we're trying to explain to him, it actually has nothing to do with the savings. It's about how much work was required and how many projects it was, and therefore how many dedicated on-site staff, how many staff in my center of excellence, how much technology I had to bring. And you know, as luck would have it, it was broadly the same fee to go get $70 million as it was in your last business where it was $35 million. And he, he was really stunned by that. And I think it was a, a, a real advertisement for him that, you know, I'm not here to gouge you. I'm, I've got a pretty consistent fee model. Let's just go get the money. Maybe getting a little bit more granular, you mentioned Lululemon. I know you have some super interesting and well-known clients like Titleist and, and DSW. Maybe you can kind of take us through specific things where you've been able to unlock savings, or maybe it's an overlooked line item where a CFO doesn't realize he could create some savings. Yeah, no, look, it's a great question. And, you know, as you mentioned, our clients range from Lululemon, Gap, you know, Bath and Body, Tractor Supply, Titleist, Mars, Glasgow Smith Klein, you know, Rite Aid, et cetera, et cetera. So what they all have in common is they're in the consumer business. They they either make products and sell them to consumers or, or they're in the retail business or both. And, you know, they all buy similar things when it comes to indirect, a lot of marketing, a lot of distribution logistics, facilities, maintenance and repair, store build out, remodel corporate services like credit card processing and, you know, benefits and insurance for employees, et cetera. And as you mentioned in the opening, it's about 20% of revenue that these companies spend on this stuff. And yet it can be thousands of categories. And what we find in each of these companies is they have a veritable army pointed at merchandising or direct. And it's usually a, a substantially smaller team. We have a client that had 450 people in merchandising and three people in indirect. I mean, it's that stark a contrast. And therefore, there's, there, you can save the money all over the place. And I think there's a couple of things that are misunderstood in this space. You know, if we can save a company money, it doesn't mean that their team was doing a bad job. It, we just buy more. We buy more frequently. We just have a bigger pencil, as one of our CFOs put it. I mean, we've got 85 billion of spend data running through the firm, growing at 20, 30 billion a year. So just take something like, a, you know, we might have a client that's five, six billion in revenue. And take something simple like print. Maybe they're buying 10, 12 million of print. We're buying 1.8 billion of print a year. You know, credit card processing fees, they may renegotiate their credit card processing relationship with WorldPay or Chase Payment Tech once every four, five, six years. We're probably doing 16 of those deals this month. So it's just a different way to get at it. It's all we do for a living. So, we, you know, we kind of better be good at it or better at it than they are, right? Yeah. When you think about procurement and buying, maybe some people think, hey, Logic Source is going to come in and it's going to slow things down. It's going to create a lot of red tape. Is that something that also comes with the territory? Maybe a, a misconception that things might get slowed down or procurement in general slows things down? Yeah, another, another great question. It, you know, it's interesting. You know, we would joke a lot internally, maybe a little bit edgy, but, you know, that we would joke turkeys don't vote for Thanksgiving. And what, I, what I've found is turkeys come in all different shapes and sizes. There's a lot of folks that have a kind of not created here. You're going to slow me down. You're going to tell me I can't work with my suppliers. You're going to try to cut my specs in half. That's not how we get at this. Um, you know, I think a couple things, 100% of the decisions are our clients' decisions. We don't, we don't make decisions for them. We make sure they understand what their decisions cost. There's a story that, that always goes around at Logic Source. We had a CEO who had a contract with NetJets, and, and we could save him quite a bit of money if we moved to another provider, and he didn't like the interiors of their planes. Who am I to judge? 
Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, I can tell you, you don't own their stock right now. Uh, so they probably should have listened. But our job was to make sure they knew what that decision cost. So there's definitely a lot of that misunderstanding that we're going to we're gonna slow them down. And look, some companies are, we, we have a client we just worked with that about uh, $178 million went on a P card a year. You know, no, con- no controls. You could buy a Bentley on your P card. We found two instances of $9,999 plastic surgery bills that were personal uh, that someone put on a P card. You know, yeah, we're going to slow that person down. There should be controls in that business. There should be a process, a, a, a toll booth, if you will, to go through to make sure that doesn't happen. But for most of our clients, that hygiene isn't you know, slowing them down. And in fact, in many cases, it's speeding them up because when you have marketeers or an IT professional who's also trying to be a procurement professional at night or on the side of their desk, it slows down their entire job. So typically, once we get this thing moving, we're actually providing bandwidth and pace versus taking it away. You know, it's so true. I always think the best clients are very open-minded. They, you know, they're secure in themselves. They understand that everybody's on the same team trying to get to the same goal line. I have to think COVID was just like you've been in like a, a washer dryer cycle, like up and down and everything. But throughout the whole thing, you've kind of been really steady on what you're doing. But you know, it's it's not like they've been there and been doing it for the last 12 years, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And this is a space where it's real simple, you know, and, I, and there's no way to say it without being edgy, you know, but the, everybody is in the new entrance category as a consultant and consultants don't buy anything yeah. and they don't do anything. So Huge it's a difference. very dangerous place when you're looking for cost containment because they're going to get your board all excited that there's a savings it's not based on anything. Remember that security monitor commercial? There's a robbery, but I'm not a security guard. Yeah. I feel like the consultants do that with savings. Like, there's a savings. I, I'm not going to go get it. But if you don't go get it, I'm going to tell your boss it was your fault. Right. And I've never really understood that. But, you know, we, we have to go get it. And, and we have to prove with rich benchmarks. Like, we're right. You pay this much for security guards. We pay this much. Same security guard company. You pay this much for waste management. We pay this much, right? Same company. And, and that's, it's just more reliable. really sensitive aspect of some cost-saving strategies is eliminating positions. It's not something anybody ever wants to do, and I wanted to know how David approaches this concern with CFOs who are looking to cut costs without cutting staff. It's an interesting question. I see it in our healthcare space. You know, if you cut, and the question's macro across all industries, but but healthcare really jumps out to me because if, if you cut people in, in a hospital system, you're, you're cutting care and the quality of care and the ratio of nurses to patients and so on and so forth. So, you know, to me, cutting staff is the easiest thing to do unemotionally. Emotionally, it's the hardest thing to do. But for businesses like yours and mine, our, I'm going to guess at ICR, just like Logic Source, your biggest line item is, is Comp and Ben. Absolutely. Right? So, you know, it's kind of lazy to just take out Comp and Ben. You know, going after your suppliers, not to hurt them, but to make sure you're paying a fair market rate with the right terms is a better way to go at it. And you don't jeopardize your most valuable resource, your people, and which will also have a knock-on effect to your culture. You know, we, we for example, during COVID, we, we lost 40% of our revenue when COVID hit in two yeah. weeks. In two weeks. Yeah. I think we only had to fire or furlough 10 people, and I think we brought everybody back but one because we, we, we looked at other ways. We, we negotiated with our landlord. We negotiated with our IT providers. We, we found the money through our providers. 
to compliment your culture, by the way, your team sent this fancy microphone and headphones to me. And they realized our headquarters is in Norwalk and your headquarters is in Norwalk. And somebody drove it over. They didn't send it in a UPS overnight. Yeah. For two miles. Um, and that's a culture of efficiency that's compliments you as, you know, the founder of the business that a lot of companies don't have. It would have been incredible if I drove it over. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> so one of the cool things I read about Logic Source is you're looking to bring technology into the business and, and use that for the benefit of, of your clients and your people. What stands out to me is kind of the proprietary technology you have, kind of the software tool set under the brand uh, One Market. Maybe talk about how that evolved and really how it makes you more efficient and helps your clients. We bought the assets of a software company when we started Logic Source in 09. And, and the original thesis was we needed technology for our services business for us internally to use. Uh, the way a carpenter needs a skill saw, we, need, we needed it to do what we do. And then we were going to go out and license Ariba, you know, Coupa to do stuff. And we were going to be kind of tech agnostic. And we kind of woke up one day and said, boy, we have thousands of transactions going through our center of excellence. We have hundreds of category experts. We run, I don't know how many it is, say 36, 37 procurement departments for five to $20 billion companies. And the, the technology just couldn't keep up. I think we found the end of you know Excel where we kind of broke smart sheets. The technology just didn't do what procurement people needed it to do. Maybe a little, little less slick and a little less complex, but just does the job. I, I think of the the GMC commercial grade commercials from back in the day. The truck just just starts up every day and does work, and that's what we needed. And and we built one market because we really couldn't find what we needed out in the marketplace. And you know that's now a five module tech stack. Procure to pay. We own a procure to pay module. It does what Ariba and Coupa does. You know I think all three are fine. Pick one that you like. Go nuts. The other stuff that that it does, we think is different. So we have a, a product called Insights, which is a data analytics platform. There are many of them on the market. What makes ours different is it has data in it. One of our clients said to us once, I thought this was a great quote. He said, "I finally realized what highly configurable means. It means empty." Um, yeah. <laughs> a lot of these data tools will organize your data. That's interesting. But actually pushing other data to you to tell you what your benchmark should be and pushing supplier diversity and ESG data to help you hit your goals is more interesting. And that, that's what our Insights product does. We have a, a product called Portfolio, which is think of Salesforce.com, but for sourcing and procurement. Today, there is no tool that you can use to track all of your sourcing and procurement projects what their interdependencies are, you know, is there, are they stuck in legal? Is the supplier not getting us data? If you interview a hundred CFOs, they'll tell you one of their biggest frustrations with procurement is they see a lot of PowerPoint, but when is it going to hit the P&L? And Portfolio does that, and I haven't seen a peer to it. Um, and then we have a sourcing platform and a contracts platform. And so, so we think one market is a pretty well-kept secret. It's really good tech made by procurement people for procurement people. But our competitors are probably better at us that at slick sales presentations. So it's something we're learning. But it's growing like a weed. Obviously, like the market is ripping and buzzing about AI and all this kind of stuff. Like, what's your take on AI and technological innovation? You, you know, it's interesting. I, you, you hear about it constantly, and I'm not seeing anybody really in sourcing and procurement yet do anything meaningful with it. But I think that we're a couple of pretty short steps away from being able to. What I think would be interesting with AI is being able to take, for example, our Insights product and have it push 
without human inter- interaction. Today, there's a lot of HI in what we're doing. And, and the truth of the matter is a lot of the AI you hear about out there is actually HI. I think there's a, there's a short-term opportunity for, for folks like us who actually have data to be able to do more direct push. I notice you're negotiating this. Here's a benchmark. I notice you're negotiating this. Here's a term that will be best to market. You know, I notice you have a supplier diversity goal. Let me push. Here are all the suppliers we could insert here to hit your goals. So I think we're probably six, seven months away uh, from being able to do that. I think that's going to be the real powerful part of AI. I think AI creating procurement bots that do all this for you. I think negotiation is one of the oldest professions in the world. I don't think it ever becomes fully automated. I think there's still, you know, going to be a human element to what we're all doing. But I think being able to weaponize the data is where the AI is going to come through. But I haven't seen anybody really nail it yet. A lot of lip service, a lot of cool presentations, but no real rubber hit the road yet. Totally. Shift into some of your industries that you really excel in, like retail and CPG. Are there certain trends out there that you're seeing that companies should either be capitalizing on or being cautious of as it relates to what you do? Yeah, you know, I think that everybody's waking up to the need to go drive profit improvement through indirect procurement. So I think there is a a nasty trend to go to big tier advice-based firms. And, uh, you know, the age old, no one got fired for hiring IBM kind of thing. I think that's happening with the big consulting firms. I think the big consulting firms do great work on the staff side of it. What should your organizational design be? How do you reorganize your distribution logistics infrastructure to you know, drive efficiency. But when it comes to negotiating what you're buying, I I would stick to firms that do that for a living. I think the other thing is there's been a a big push, and this may sound counterintuitive for a guy that owns a five-module SaaS business, but SaaS alone is not going to save you money. If you just implement, you know, a technology solution for procurement, you're going to automate bad buying. So you might be able to see a little bit better if you have somebody that knows what they're looking at that you don't buy well. But it's not going to save you money. You have to combine it with, you know, the smart category expertise to be able to take that automation and really deliver, you know, a true EBITDA enhancement, you know, to the firm. I agree with you. You know, I, I think in a lot of industries, everybody wants to be kind of like a software company and a data company, and they dump all that stuff on management teams. And But there's no one to, like, interpret it and tell you what to do with it. What's the future of procurement in the next five to 10 years. I mean, you've been doing this a really long time. What do you think is coming down the road eventually? Yeah, I think this economy is going to be an interesting test for what I think is going to happen. You know, I grew up in IT, right? I started my career at Gartner. And and, and when I started my career to date myself, you know, there wasn't a CIO, right? There was an MIS director. They walked around pushing an AV cart. They had, you know, screwdrivers in their pocket and fixed Xerox machines. And when guys like you went to the office, you pressed up and they pressed down and went down to the data center, right? So they they gave the data center to IBM and they gave the screwdrivers to Xerox and they put a suit on. They went upstairs and started talking about omnichannel and security and innovation and they became the CIO. I think the procurement organization still has a massive journey. That you know the the mere fact that it's called procurement assumes somebody's made a strategic decision and they're just executing the buy. Really, I think procurement it will continue to evolve and eventually get a, a seat at the top table around spend management and productivity. When you talk about 20% of revenue for some of these companies we're dealing with, 10, 15, 20 billion in revenue, you're talking about managing 
massive amounts of money for the company and making sure that their budgets are going further so they can invest deeper. And, and you know, my most rewarding clients are the ones that come to me and say, look, I'm not saving money. You know, Lulu wasn't saving money to stay open. Lulu was staying, saving money to innovate and go bigger and go bigger and pivot and keep going to, you know, climb that next mountain. Those are the most fun that really understand that sourcing and procurement is a competitive differentiator. And, and, and I think that will continue to happen. I think people will follow brands like that and say, hey, they know what they're doing here. This, you know, you think about the, you know, bad economies, usually things like procurement get fired first, right? Because they're, right? And, and people cut marketing. Those two things don't make sense to me. Market deeper. Your customers need to know who to spend their limited funds with. And don't cut the guys that are negotiating. They're going to make your budgets go further. Um, so I think, I think procurement will continue to climb. I think the CPO salaries show us that that it's getting hotter and hotter in the space. And I think eventually, like the CIO, they'll sit around the top table and be talking about innovation and productivity and managing the company's money. What are your aspirations for logic source like in your head? I, I don't know about you, but like I have this perfect idea of what we should be and I kind of never get there. It's so frustrating. But like what's like, you know, if you're dreaming big, like what would be your aspirations for logic source? Yeah, I wonder if that's like me. I wonder if that's changed for you over the years. If you would have answered that question differently, no. really. So for me, <laughs> it's changed. For me, it's yeah. changed. You know, when I when I started this thing, I thought, I, you know, it's funny. I told my wife, I said, you know, it'll be four years, and and we'll we'll flip it. And and I, and I, the joke has always been, I just never told her where the four years starts. Um, <laughs> but you know, when I first started, I thought I would do this for a period of time, flip it, and then go to another one in some other space because I'm not a procurement guy. I grew up in IT. You know, it's changed for me. I'm having so much fun. Our team is so amazing. It's a tough business, but but I, we're having so much fun doing this. And and frankly, we don't see a viable threat. You know, there are other companies that do this and do this very well, but the market is so big that we can all just keep going. And you know, especially sort of one to twenty billion, which is where most of the market is, for execution-based sourcing and procurement, I'm kind of alone. There's advice-based firms that slow us down every now and then. The big guys, Accenture and IBM, do great work. They're 20 billion and up. So I think we'll keep doing this. You know, we may keep, you know, looking at private equity flips to to put some more money on the balance sheet and and, and go bigger over time. But we're really happy with FTV Capital. We just did a deal with them last April. We're having fun. We're growing. You know, I mean, you could really be the premier brand. In the space, ultimately, you know. I think we could. And I think we could be to, to, to procurement what Hewitt was to HR, what Accenture was to finance, what IBM was to IT. I think Logic Source could be the category of one in sourcing and procurement. Yeah. Well, it, it's an amazing aspirational goal. You mentioned it really quickly. Talk about the senior team and the culture of the firm. You know, it's interesting. People always ask me, um, you know, what's the one thing you could say to yourself if you could go back in a time machine when you started the company? And team is is the biggest lesson for me. As a founder, you can fall victim to being a control freak and being in every discussion and, and trying to, you know, impact everything because you care so much. One, one of my mentors once said to me, well, your, your biggest frustration is going to be no one cares as much as you do. And I have solved that. We have hired a team of people. We have incented them properly with ownership and with responsibility. And we run as a true partnership. If you ever interviewed here, you'll hear us say things like, I can't fire anybody. If I want to fire my CFO, I'm going to have to convince the entire team that that's the right decision to make because she's a partner and she's an owner. And by the way, I would never fire my CFO. She's my right hand on everything. Um, you wouldn't but I'm know using anything. that as an analogy. Then she'd kill me. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. But my, 
my team's awesome. I mean, I, we're, we're organized, I think, relatively um, uniquely and very flat. Um, you know, my CFO and CIO, uh, Nikki Heim, kind of runs day-to-day operations for the business. My uh, my client ops leader, which is a very important job here, Kirk Coaster, was a former client, and he really gets it from the other side. Joe Seed uh, owns all things strategy for us, and Michael B. Uh, is kind of the Uber chief procurement officer because we run procurement for so many businesses. And, you know, we've got, you know, real senior partners in Chris Marr and, and Sam Vale, the CIO and Craig uh, Garno, an awesome general counsel in, in Jessica um, in, uh, Butchok and, you know, my head of talent, Melinda Long and head of HR, Christine Sabato. I just have an awesome, awesome team. And it allows me to focus on growth and customer service. Logic Source is driving procurement forward with great people and great technology. And what's really fantastic is that their huge success also means that clients are saving money, growing, and creating opportunity. At Welcome to the Arena, we're working really hard to bring you exciting guests and great content. If you found this episode insightful, subscribe to the show on your podcast app and leave us a five-star rating. The more the show grows, the more interesting voices we can have on the podcast. And in turn, that should demystify a lot of the stakeholders around public companies and soon-to-be public companies. Thanks for listening. I want to thank David Panino for joining me on the show today. Logic Source has a great culture, a great team, and a unique approach to the business of cost savings. I'm sure we're going to see big things from them down the road. This is Tom Ryan. I'll see you next time back in the arena. References to specific stocks are not intended to be recommendations for specific trading behavior. Comments presented on this podcast are intended for informational and educational purposes only, and do not represent opinions or recommendations on whether to buy, sell, or hold shares of a particular stock. All investors are advised to conduct their own independent research into individual stocks before making a trading decision. In addition, investors are advised that past stock performance is no guarantee of future price performance.